0: Thank you for tuning in to What the Queer, brought to you by Peter's Place RVA. My name is Jamie Osorio. I am the Vice President of the Board of Directors for Peter's Place RVA. I use she, her pronouns, and I am here with Chantelle, who's going to introduce herself to talk about why we chose to create Peter's Place, why we're here today, and where we wanna see our organization moving forward. Chantel.
1: Hi, everyone. Um, Chantel Hammond's here. I use she, her pronouns. And like Jamie said, I am the executive director of Peter's Place RVA. Um, Peter's Place is a LGBTQIA a recovery organization that focuses on house, housing support and resources for the LGBTQ community. Um, and a little bit about like who we are and why having this kind of support is crucial to people's recovery. Uh, we are authentic support, which means that we are run, led, and, um, by the community, by the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, we are centered in that community. Our work is centered in supporting LGBTQIA plus, but specifically BIPOC and trans individuals who are the most marginalized individuals within this group of people. Um, and that's important because um, something that I carry with me is a saying of, um, that you can't support me. Um, you, you can't treat me unless you um, treat all of me. And that means like all my identities. If I can't bring every identity that I hold into a space, then you can't treat me as a whole. And um, the reason why that is important because for myself specifically getting into recovery, and being in recovery spaces that like, you know, um, I felt out like an outcast. I felt like I didn't belong. Like no one shared the identities that I had. No one understood my identities. Um, They didn't understand where I was coming from. And, you know, a lot of times I had to hide within recovery spaces and these are spaces that I'm supposed to be healing and growing in. And I had to hide a lot of my identities. So for me, um, having this space that particularly um, caters to this group of individuals. is crucial to their mental health, their recovery, and it's also suicide prevention, um, and that's something else that we could probably talk about later. I, um, want to hear from you a little on what things have you done personally to, like, change, like, your thinking and stuff around, like, race and sexuality, gender, and stuff like that, and, like, what type of work are you doing in your life?
0: Yeah definitely for those who can't see me I'm very very light skin. I am Hispanic but I'm white passing in a lot of spaces. I do definitely benefit from that um, kind of like what Chantel was talking about earlier with regard to the successfulness of people who fit better into the mold of what productive members of society look like or act like or. And of course there was the initial shock of like, yes, I I am also racist because I have the power and privilege over so many others. And there's this like defiance to like accept that because I am not white, then there's no way that I don't experience the same oppression. So acknowledging that and doing all that I can to listen to my peers who are a lot of pain has been really uncomfortable. Like it's sometimes really draining. And also I've seen the toll that it takes on my closest friends who have no choice but to face those conversations, to have those conversations, to scream the truths that they're experiencing because it's the only way to kind of survive the day sometimes. And I know a lot of that has, you know, put me in a position where I am able to identify it. And when I can identify it, and when I say it, I mean my privilege, when I can identify my privilege, um, I'm trying to learn not to kind of like say it in every space, but like, just to be like, you know, acknowledge and and, and amplify uh, people's voices who say something um, that is a truth of their truth and you know about their experience and how you know painful it is or how you know frustrating it is or whatever it is right they'll share their experience and then someone will say someone more privileged will say something that completely dismisses like it just completely looks over or doesn't acknowledge doesn't actually like it's like almost they didn't hear what that person said and so what I do is I I reiterate it and say like you literally did not listen to what was just said um and that often causes like a lot of discomfort because then people realize like whether or not they meant to dismiss someone else's truth they did and um that's how I try to work on own anti-racism like worked on towards anti-racism
1: that's awesome um
0: you'd also challenge me too like this is a space if you want to challenge me do it
1: um i don't think i i, I want to challenge you uh, right now okay. but you know probably in the future i will challenge you we will okay. challenge each other <laughs> we will challenge each other because that's what the space is for and that's how we grow and learn by educating mm-hmm. each other but but also telling someone you know maybe you might want to try this or you want to work on this or like something right this is I'm the just space. calling
0: some bs too i'm open to it too. right
1: <laughs> that's a space for that right and i i'm glad that we get to share this space together and also like share this space where we can actually talk about um stuff and actually have real dialogue about it and um Truly dissect this stuff because you know I stepped in, I said in a lot of spaces and like even when we talk about anti-racism or equity and justice or um, transphobia, homophobia, all that crap, that we are um, still watering it down to uh, to please. Mm. The white folks, <laughs> I'm just going to mm. say it to to uh, to please them, to make them feel comfortable in the spaces, to make them feel like it, they're able to um, listen to this without being too uncomfortable. Like we want to water it down to walk them, welcome them into our space mm. and uh, we shouldn't have to do that. Like this is our Mm -hmm. space, right? And if you want to walk into this and if you want to learn, if you want to hear from us, then you're going to have to set in your uncomfortability and just listen and process Mm -hmm. it. And if it makes you feel uncomfortable, if it bothers you, take that shit with you and process it and figure it out. It's not our problem to do that for you. And we shouldn't have to like dilute ourselves to make you okay in a space that it's not meant for you but you're welcome in if you want to actually truly learn and heal because like we're healing in these spaces, honestly, Mm. and we shouldn't have to take away our comfort and stuff. Um, We shouldn't have to water ourselves down and we shouldn't have to dilute our message and not be true about what's truly going on and what's truly bothering us and hurting us to make you feel okay. Because then we're oppressing ourselves to make our, our oppressors feel good. And I'm
0: not about no. it. Well, I mean, let's talk about entitlement. <laughs> you know, like the from the other angle, the other perspective, you've got people um, with privilege that walk into spaces and expect to be to be coddled and to have the message be diluted. And I mean, how many times did we experience that, or or you know, share that experience when we were around folks in very specific recovery spaces where you know, you know, gender identity was being, you know, challenged, but not, and not like, and not like accepted, like not, they weren't listening. Like people people don't listen sometimes when someone shares their truth, like they want to conceptualize it. And oftentimes gender in, is binary in, in how folks understand it, but they cannot fathom so, okay, so someone's expressing their gender. And so that person will have, will get tons of questions about, you know, well, what what does that mean? And like, so are you, you know, this or that, and the idea of of gender fluidity and stuff like that are just beyond the individual. And so we talk about like, you know, how, you know, entitled people can be to getting the answers that make, to questions that make them uncomfortable to not get answers to. And <clears throat> And then even then, you've got this like almost like in ingrained stubbornness of um, being corrected. For example, with you know for for using mis- misusing someone's gender um, pronouns, and then and then being like, oh, I'm sorry, it's just that I forgot, or like, you know, because you know, of course, like I am I'm not immune to making mistakes, um, but it's th- it's sometimes the the willfulness of not, of not doing everything in your power to make that person included. The person who is, um, you know, has a different gender expression than a a binary cis person. Yeah,
1: yeah te- let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So something that you said, you like, it's, uh, uh, you said it was stubbornness. Is that what you said?
0: Yeah, willful stubbornness.
1: Willful stubborn stubbornness. I wanna challenge that. I call it willful ignorance of people not wanting to educate themselves, but also Mm -hmm. a lack of willingness to change because it's inconvenient for them because it doesn't Mm -hmm. affect them. It doesn't bother them. It -hmm. doesn't affect how they live lives that they don't care. And they feel like, why do I have, to, what I've heard a lot of times is like, why do I have to change the way do I talk to make someone else feel, feel okay? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to change this? And why do I have to do this? Um, why do these things have to change to include other people? I don't call, I call that just plain like bigotry. Like I just call it for what it is because, mm-hmm. um, this individual don't see an issue and problem with it because it's not affecting their life and it's affecting someone else who's not like them, who as a marginalized individual who um, like, um, I was talking to an individual recently and we were talking about, um, you know, Peter's Place and what we do and stuff like that. And they were talking about like, they were talking to another group about like, changing stuff and doing things to include more LGBTQ people and like trans people and stuff. And um, And that
0: space not being designed for people who, that space wasn't initially designed for people um, like that. Okay.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to clarify. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they were talking to these individuals about it. And one of the responses was, was like, well, there's such a small number of people who are a part of the recovery community, of the recovery community um, why do we have to make changes for them? And this individual was telling me this and explaining to me. And, and he was just like, I can't believe this alone to say that and how ignorant it is. And honestly, they're just not a small member of the recovery community. They are part of the recovery community. And um, so for me, I don't believe that it's um, people just being stubborn. I think it. I, um, I, I like to call it what it is, is people basically being exclusive and they don't care because That's exactly they, it does, what
0: i was gonna say because yep. they
1: it does not bother them it does not affect them it does not change their life and they're setting in their privilege and be like why do i have to give up what i am owed to help someone else out right because let's let's talk about like we talk about the sense of entitlement a lot mm-hmm. of people feel like they're entitled to be able to talk to people however they want to. They're entitled to say whatever they want to. They're entitled to continue to have these same programs and stuff that they have, and they should not have to change to benefit someone else. It's entitlement. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let's talk about programs. Let's talk about visibility. Let's talk about why you know the, the pushback of having you know calling that to someone you know calling someone in it doesn't even have to be calling someone out and don't get me wrong some people deserve to be called out people like people deserve it but can i, can I challenge
1: you, know, you on that really
0: quick sure please
1: i'm gonna challenge you right i said okay. it's gonna happen i don't believe yeah. in call-ins i do not okay. believe in call-ins right because when okay. well so the nature of a call-in is like me telling you that mm. you hurt me how you hurt me why you hurt me and how to fix that. Mm,
0: as someone who's doing all the emotional labor.
1: Right. And someone who is hurt, it's not my place to tell you how to fix yourself. It's not my place to educate you, right? Mm-hmm. That's your place. And with with, with this call in culture of telling people that we need to call people in is pretty much that's calling those who come cause harm and continue to provide mm-hmm. support for those who cause harm and to um, put them <laughs> on this pedal stool to mm-hmm. um, treat them like they're the victim while the person who has been hurt has to do all the emotional work in that, and still be a victim and experience trauma trying to fix a problem that they didn't even cause. I do not believe in call-ins, I will call you out and that's it and you fix it and you learn how to fix that issue on your own because it's not my place to fix it for you.
0: Well, shit. Yes, (laughs) I'm actually glad that you mentioned that because and just like I'm laughing because it's exciting to me to have um, an opportunity to be called out. I think because uh, for example, what I I was trying to get at was this. Um, I guess it was the sensitivity of the exclusive, the the elite group, like the untouchables. Um, it was the it's that watering down thing. Like calling in again is is just another way of making something palatable to someone else who doesn't agree or feel like they they want to recognize that they you know what I mean like like who wants to think like the oppressor is actually like a mean person you know what I mean like who wants like it's like what like I guess what I'm saying is that there is a lot of demonization of certain behaviors certain expressions and I mean this like um, physical expressions and certain types of you know let's talk about like how um you know culture encourages people to embrace blackness and culture so that they can you know what I mean and it's like it's this um, it's this it's this again keeping the untouchable elite and I'm specific, specifically talking about whiteness um, as this this you know you know like pure you um, this pureness and then, you know, having the other be the furthest thing from that, but then also like having that, that like the privilege to just appropriate whatever is fitting or whatever's fun or whatever is like, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, and so call, call in, call, you know, getting people call out. It's like, I mean, that shit's just like, it's cringy. It's cringeworthy sometimes, t- like for the most part, it's cringeworthy, but it's also just not okay. Um, so yeah, I feel like you want to say something, yeah. go ahead.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> you were talking about like, you know, the elite people, let's just call it what it is, cisgender white men um, who have the most privilege, who hold most spaces, who yeah. dominate most spaces. Um, <clears throat> but also just like talking about like how culture steals from the black community Um, They steal from our culture, but don't embrace us. That's the colonizer syndrome is what I call it, right? Mm -hmm. They steal from our community. They take our culture. They don't want us to benefit from it. They want to benefit from it. So they oppress us and keep us down uh, while taking our work, our knowledge, our experience, our culture, our style, our fashion, and our ideas and continue to profit off of us while keeping us at the bottom or tokenizing us enough to say, hey, I gave you something, I gave you this platform. Here's a seat at the table, but don't speak too much. Be quiet, mm-hmm. speak when you're told to, and here, take a little bit of money um, off of this, but we're gonna continue to profit off of you while you make crumbs. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, uh, and that's the way the society has built been built. And continues to profit off of the backs of Black and Brown people because it's just not Black people, right, that they benefit off of. Let's just be honest. They're not just um stealing from Black culture, which they are, and like in, in a lot of ways, but they're also oppressing and stealing from all Brown people. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also stealing from the Brown culture, all Brown cultures. They are also taking from us and giving a couple of us tokens seats at the table to make us feel good and then what happens is those couple people who get that seat are just like things are better things are inclusive the world is getting better why the rest of the people who look like them are still at the bottom struggling to try to get whatever crumbs fall down to them and um, I think in order to change the system in order to um, rewrite um, the systems that were um, written to oppress us, that we have to destroy them and continue and, and continue to rebuild them ourselves, right? We have to stop letting people um, steal from us, right? We have to stop letting people like um, tokenize us. We have to stop letting people benefit off of our ideas and our culture and the profits that we're making. Um, And that's why, you know, when we built this organization and we built Peter's Place that we decided that like we wanted to be black and brown led. They're like, we're welcoming other people into our spaces who are not black and brown, but black and brown voices are the ones that are gonna be prioritized in this space because we are the ones doing the work. We are the ones who are most oppressed in this community. And we will be the ones who carry this on for a long time when those who don't look like us are gonna be able to step away from anything like this in a moment of time and continue to get the benefits. And the, have the privilege to access care and support that we're not going to have.
0: Oh wow. I I keep thinking about like racial r- racial and cultural tourism, and also keep thinking about how this ties right back into recovery spaces. Everything that you said is true across the board, and then we we talk about you know this. <laughs> I mean, I've heard it thousands of times in meetings, the, the, the miracle of being saved from their addiction, from their vice, from their, you know, their, um, powerlessness over a substance. Like there is this already like this entitlement to, I am different than other people because I, I was able to surrender or I was able to, give up you know xyz and and trade it in for something that i have to be grateful for and that i have to work for and the thing is while while recovery does involve lots of work lots of dedication and vulnerability and all of these things so many people don't have access to even have the safety like like let's talk about that like the safety of being vulnerable, the safety of not, like, I mean, shit, (laughs) there's just, like, I just, I just can't help but think about how important, um, you know, harm reduction is because of that. It's, it's taking away so much of the stigma, um, but that also goes into, like, a little bit more of, like, a different area, but I think it's all, it's all, again, it's, it's, it's this privilege that, you know, white cis men have that others can't afford.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. I agree with everything that you said. Um, You hit it right on the nail, just like the safety. The safety. Uh, And people don't understand what it means to be safe or have safe spaces or to allow people to have um, safe um, spaces to recover it, right? and how important that is for people to be able to feel safe in a space while being in that space and actually being able to be vulnerable and be true and talk about what's really going on with them, who they are and to open up to people, right? Once you take away that, that, like, that space from people, once you take away that sense of being um, safe Then you put people into a um, a space that they no longer want to be in or feel welcome in and that they are um, struggling to even be a part of like once you take away from my safety there's nothing in that space that you can offer me there's nothing in that space that you can provide me and i would no longer feel okay to be there. And if I show up in there, it's because I have to be there or I have nowhere else to go, but I'm truly not showing up. I'm there mm-hmm. in physical form.
0: Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> that is, I love that. I love that. I mean, how many times, and I mean, this goes right back to programming, right back to this um, tokenization of people who succeed, and I say that in air quotes, succeed in recovery because, you know, and I say this in air quotes because they did the work. And I'm talking about the tokenized brown and black person, the tokenized queer, the tokenized trans person. I'm talking about those people who, on the surface, have succeeded. Um, and, and made the, the space work for them that, you know, the other who is not, you know, able to use their privilege to make safety again, like, you know, m- me being white passing, like, I very much use that to my advantage in my recovery. And of having the awareness of that, like, I recognize that there are so many other people that do not have the same access or the same, you know, fearlessness or the same type of, like not, and I'm not saying they don't have any of these things. I'm saying just that, you know, it's just not worth, it's not worth coming outside of their survival, like um, mechanisms, outside of their coping to enter a space that is bound to hurt them because of the way that it's designed, it's bound to exclude anybody, it's going to hurt people. It's just not. It's just like it. It's hands down. When you walk into a space where there's privilege, you're going to get hurt. And and oftentimes, if you if you're able to dismiss it and like sweep it under the rug, then you're successful. <laughs> you know, like
1: right, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I uh I agree. For so something I wanted like dive into right there right is something that I heard to stand out how you said like your like your white passing privilege and how you use that right let's talk about how some of us as BIPOC people like all of us as BIPOC people have some sort of privilege right let's not deny that like we all have privilege I have privilege that a lot of people who have identities like me don't have Mm -hmm. and um but like you know like talking about the privilege that we have that we use in spaces to fit in or feel safe and secure, right? Like code switching is not just about like the language we use. It's also about our representation, how we present ourselves, how we act, and stuff. Because, yep. like, for me, as a um, you talk about like your white passing privilege and how you use that in some spaces to be able mm-hmm. to kind of fly under the radar, is what I call it.
0: Yes, um, exactly. And, and
1: feel okay and feel comfortable. Uh, but for me, like you know, as a trans femme person, that sometimes I use I code switch in the way that I present and dress and look. To be able to feel comfortable in spaces, to fly under the radar, to have some privilege because, like you know, um, um, if I present masculine, I have a little bit more privilege than than mm-hmm. fem presenting people in spaces because you know, even though black individuals are oppressed, even though black men are oppressed, but black men have a level of privilege that black women don't have. and um, sometimes I take advantage of that, and that's safety, that's safety issue, Mm -hmm. that's for me protecting myself, allowing myself to step into spaces, and go under the radar, and don't have to worry about a lot of things, and being able to still some, the little bit of privilege, that I can't still out of those spaces for myself.
0: And, and I just want to say, like, the redeeming quality of being aware of this privilege and how we use it to our advantage to benefit us is is the community that results out of that. The reason why I connect with Chantel, I will connect with you on a level that others can't is because we both recognize this and we also give ourselves grace because we are simply also protecting ourselves. So yes, I, you know, we both use our privilege in spaces but we do it to protect ourselves, we do it to protect others, and we're aware about how it can come off as harmful when we abuse it. And, and we're not prepared to amplify someone's voice who isn't in that space. That's exactly. why we have Peter's Place.
1: Exactly, exactly. And you know, it's a little more than just safety, it's survival, it's survival.
0: Yeah. Thanks Chantal for doing this with me. And I guess until next time. Thank you all.
1: Yeah. Thank you.